is Clayton Howe's Entertainment X. For this episode, I chat with Julie Halston, and we cover it all from early inspirations to specificity in comedy. So I hope you enjoy this part one of my conversation with Julie Halston. Keep on keeping on. We're back. I'm Clayton Howe, and today with me on Zoom is Julie Halston. Julie, thank you for joining me today. Well, hello. Good morning. Happy Halloween. Happy uh, All Hallows Eve. Yes. It's spectacular day, whatever. But anyway, we're here. <laughs> we are here. We are here. And we have so much to talk about. Um, but before we get to everything <laughs> in recent history, I want to go back to the beginning of time for Julie. What were your entertainment dreams growing up? Well, my entertainment dreams were Broadway, honestly. Um, I was, I think I knew at an early age, like, oh, you're kind of funny. Because, you know, kids would say, like, you're kind of funny. And also, I was pretty bossy. So I just kind of liked the idea of sort of directing my own ship and directing other people's ships as well. And that's kind of what I was like. I was the kind of kid who organized kids and said like, we're gonna put on a show in my garage and I'm gonna play all the parts and you'll be in the back and I'm putting a curtain up with a sheet. And, you know, I was one yeah. of those people. Um, and honestly, Clayton, I, kind of have fulfilled a lot of my ambitions mm. in some ways. I mean, I've been on Broadway many times. I wanted to be part of an artistic community. Mm. And, uh, you know, when I had the Charles Bush experience, when we founded our theater company in the 1980s, which I know for some people might be like, wait, did she just say the 1880s? Because it feels <laughs> like the 80s. It's like, how old is Julie Halston? Well, we're not going to say. But um, anyway, I I wanted to be a Broadway baby. And yeah. I have become a Broadway baby. And I, you know, I kind of got what I came for. Not that I don't want more. Okay. You can always get more. Sure. But I, I'm, a, I'm a pretty content, you know, actress. I love that. I love that. Let's. Yeah. I have a number of questions about the beginning here. What, theater in Limbo with Charles. What was that? How did that relationship start? What was the creation of that? Um, well, we have told the story, and it's actually a pretty improbable one. Okay. I met Charles Bush in San Francisco in the early 80s. A mutual friend of ours invited me to come out to San Francisco to do like my comedy act. Mm. Okay, guess what, Clayton? I didn't have a comedy act. He just said to me, oh, just come out to San Francisco and tell stories the way you did when we were in college. <laughs> well, that's actually not an act because when we were in college, we were probably stoned. And, you know, I would just tell stories about my mother or my sisters. Sure. And he just thought they were a riot. Well, Charles Bush actually had a real act called Alone with a Cast of Thousands. And he played a variety of characters that he actually wrote. And it was, you know, actually an act with craft and whatnot. 
And he was doing his act in San Francisco. I got to San Francisco too late to see his act, but he just happened to be there. Mm. And he saw my act and he said to our mutual friend, she's terrible. She doesn't, she doesn't have an act. She's terrible. Um, but she's stylish. I wore a, a very stylish jumpsuit. I looked a little Kay Thompson-ish. You know, people have to Google Kay Thompson, no. but I was very stylish. I had a very Vidal Sassoon, asymmetrical haircut, and lots of lashes. But I was terrible. I didn't know what I was doing. Anyway, cut to, I don't know, a number of months later, maybe. And Charles Bush had written a little skit called Vampire Lesbians of Sodom. And every actress basically turned him down. They didn't want to do a, a little skit named Vampire Lesbians of Sodom in a cracked in on the Lower East Side. And the only person that accepted the offer was me. And he was like, oh, she's terrible, but like, I need an actress. And I joined his little troupe and I was just terrible. Clayton, I, I didn't, meanwhile, I actually was a performance major at Hofstra University on Long Island. And I actually at one point said, well, Charles, I know I can act. I played Nina in The Seagull at Hofstra. Really? Okay. In a lab workshop. Okay. It was sad. It was at Hofstra. We could leave it there. Yeah. I mean, yellow. No. We could leave it there. Um, anyway, I joined this company. I loved them. They loved me. But... I just didn't understand this kind of style of performance because Charles is a very specific, you know, grand performance mm. in the, in the ridiculous theater, Charles Ludlum style. I wasn't quite aware of that. So we were about to open, you know, in basically like a crack den on the Lower East Side. And I just said to the company, I said, look, I know in rehearsal, I really stink. I don't know what I'm doing. Get a wig on me, put me in front of 60 gay men and I'm gonna glow. Well, guess what? I got out there and I, suddenly I was really good somehow. <laughs> I figured it out in five minutes. And Charles was like, oh, I'm going to write material for you. What was this? Hold on. What was this really good for five minutes thing? What was this just you were connecting with the audience? You were receiving the energy? Yes, I literally got out there as the succubus in Vampire Lesbians of Sodom. And somehow I figured out gestures and I somehow figured out how to speak in a very theatrical tone. And, you know, I learned so much from Charles because Charles, you know, and I watched a lot of movies before I went on, hmm. you know, that sort of uh, fabulous Greta Garbo and Norma Shearer, you know, all his idols, Betty Davis, Joan Crawford. Um, and, and, and suddenly I got out there and I'm not joking. It was the crowd that somehow gave me that kind of energy. And I just stomped around that stage uh, and I could tell Charles was just like, who the hell is this? This is not the girl that was in rehearsal who was much more tentative. It's, you know, I'm a show pony, Clayton. That's what yeah. it comes down to, show pony. 
and I get in front of a crowd and suddenly I come alive hmm. and the whole company was like, and the crowd really did love the succubus. So yeah, yeah. Uh, Charles was like, oh, oh, I guess you're in the company and I'm going to write for you. And he wrote another play called Theodora, Shebitch of Byzantium. And again, we did this on the Lower East Side outside in, in like a courtyard. Again, remember, this is the 1980s. Right. It was crazy down there. Mm -hmm. There were lots of performance artists. Anne Magnuson, Lydia Lunch, John Epperson doing Lip Synca. Again, people can Google all this. Um, but it was a very interesting and amazing time. And remember, the AIDS epidemic was really starting and really taking hold of this city. And we were mm. in a state of shock. Mm. And going to these entertainments was really helping people uh, yeah. take their mind off what was really a terrible thing. We were losing people. It was awful. Mm -hmm. um, so I was, I played, I played Aunt Vulva. Yeah, okay. In Theodora Shebitz of Byzantium. And you know, the higher the wig, the more my performance grew. Uh, <laughs> And uh, Kathy Carr, our wig extraordinaire designer, designed me, designed for me these wild wigs. And um, you know, you stick a wig on me, and I, 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 you get a performance out of me. I, I'm telling you, I'm very old school. I put lashes on and a wig, and suddenly I'm, I'm, I'm rather brilliant. <laughs> This time, this time after graduating from Hofstra and, you know, auditioning, but also creating and, you know, kind of taking control of your own life. What was that realization for you as you entered, you know, professionally the world of those two? Well, I will say, Clayton, it was difficult because I would go on auditions. And at this time, it was I was auditioning as well as being part of this fascinating company. And when I went to these auditions, I was way too much you know, and mm -hmm. I had to learn how to really pull back. Um, but it was very difficult. I did. I was never a great auditioner. And it took a while for people to get on my train. And it took a while for me to understand the business. And in a way, I'm sort of glad I didn't understand the business now when I look back on it hmm. because I didn't become very jaded. Uh, you know, I think a lot of people and particularly now, Clayton, you know, kids start performing when they're like three. Yeah. And by the time they're 13, they're like, well, I've done 13 Broadway shows. I've had two Netflix series. You know, I'm, I'm working on a development deal. And you're like, wait. Uh, what, you're 13, what, what's happening? And then by like the time they're 20, they're like, oh, I'm done with show business. I'm starting my own, uh, you know, a media company and I'm taking over Amazon. So for me, I, I was so naive in a way, I kind of liked that I was naive. I wish I had sort of learned a little bit more about the business at an earlier age, but I, I never got jaded about it. You know, I, I really didn't. And, um, you know, it, you know, I was never one to be like, oh, I didn't get that part. You know, what's wrong with those people? I was like, oh, I didn't get that part. I'll go to dinner now with friends. You know, I wasn't I, I wasn't upset yeah. too much, you know. Um, plus, 
I had this wonderful theater company with Charles Bush, Ken Elliott, Tom Olino, Andy Halliday, all these great, you know, friends. And um, I, I, I was just very happy being part of this troupe. Yeah. And um, I did have a day job. I was working on Wall Street. And Wall Street in the 1980s was a wild place. It really was a little wolf of Wall Street. Not in our firm, but yeah. I, I watched that whole scene happen. But um, again, I, I liked my life then. It wasn't, you know, and I was in the city and a lot of my friends had moved into the city. So again, like I said, it was a terrible time mm. because of the AIDS epidemic, but it was also a creative time. So um, I, I felt I felt very lucky. And when I look back on it now, I feel even more lucky. Yeah, I really well, do. And you you brought up you know that you're 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 a, sh a show pony, and you put the wig and the makeup on, and you just become that. Where does that permission come for you to just go all the way? It really did come, and which is why I thanked him in my Tony speech, yes. but we'll get to that later um, because he started it all. It really did come from Charles Bush and yeah. Ken Elliott, our director at that time. Uh, they gave me the permission. Yeah. You know, it was Charles who said, oh, Julie, you can go a lot further with this. And he was the one, because I used to watch all those movies when I was a kid, those Eve Arden wisecracking movies, sure. you know, uh, with the, with the, the, Second Bananas and all them, you know, Thelma Ritter and Eve Arden, all those great Second Bananas. But it was really Charles who was who would really encourage me. Look at this film. Look at that film. He'd give mm. me specifics. And, um, you know, in those days, it was uh, you'd watch it in as a kid on million dollar movie. But then this is before, you know, the world became the internet highway that it became. But there was a Turner Classic movies or like VHS tapes. And, you know, again, people must be listening, going like, wait, what era? Wait. They're still Googling earlier. Or what, what happened here? But <laughs> it's Clayton channeling. Actually, you should tell me, she's actually a hologram. Um, <laughs> that's how old. But you know what I mean? Like I watched and I studied those people. Yeah. And, um, it, but it was Charles and Ken Elliott who gave me permission. They said, you know, darling, you can go further, you know? And I, and I studied Charles, you know, mm. and, and the kind of grace and also other um, drag performers uh, like a Charles Ludlam. We knew Charles Ludlam. Charles Bush had actually worked with Charles Ludlam a little bit. And um, so I, I learned that sometimes more is more. Um, yeah. and, uh, it was, it was, they, they gave me the permission. You're, you're, I didn't give it to myself. You're so, you, what you do is so funny and it's funny because it's so real and so specific. And I'm thinking of you, uh, you can't take it with you. The gay Wellington character drinks a bottle of gin. You decide to crawl across the stage. That is a choice, but it's also very real. <laughs> Well, I will tell you, and I, oh, I bless him. Scott Ellis, 
and I've worked with Scott a number of times, he said to me, look, because in rehearsal, it wasn't quite working. It wasn't funny enough. And he kept saying, I know that we can make something out of this. He said, look, you need to be in front of an audience because I don't do well with no audience. You know, I'm such a comic uh, whore, I guess, uh, for the laughter. Um, he said, you need an audience. He yeah. said, I'm going to give you a night. It was before we opened. It was like a, before previews started. It was a Thursday night. I remember that. And he said, I'm going to let you do whatever you want, whatever you want in front of an audience. I don't care. Hmm. I'm not going to ask you to tell me what it is. But you have to tell your fellow performers that we're going to do this experiment tonight so that they're not thrown. Sure. So, Clayton, I went back to the text. And let's face it, when you're dealing with like George Kaufman, Moss Hart, I mean, these are the incredible writers. It's one of the greatest plays ever written. They talk about Kay Wellington drinking a bottle of gin by herself. If I drank a bottle of gin by myself, I would not be able to stand. I would not be able to really make sense of anything. I would be first, I might be in Mount Sinai, but if I'm not in Mount Sinai, I'm going to crawl and I'm going to try to be on the ground as quickly as possible. And that is what I did that night. Yeah. I just got on my knees and I crawled to that staircase and I knew I had to do a limerick because that those were the lines. They were the limerick. Yeah. I looked up. And David Rockwell's amazing set. I didn't realize how steep that staircase was. And there was a part of me. And at this point, the audience is really laughing. Yeah. And the actors on the stage, Rose Byrne, James Earl Jones, Annalie Ashford, Red Rogers, they're all cracking up. Sure. <laughs> and I'm like, how am I going to go up those stairs doing this limerick? crawling crawling and what happened was i was laughing too plus slurring because you know when you are drunk you, you you're not always articulate there's impairment the audience <laughs> was screaming and of course that fed me and i crawled and crawled and crawled and by the time i finally got up to the top the audience was applauding and all of a sudden hear this coming into my dressing room and that was Scott Ellis and he goes you're going to do that every night and he gave me permission my the wonderful cast just went with it the audience went with it but I went back to the text and the text basically said she is blind drunk and that she had a bottle by herself blind. when you're blind drunk you're crawling oh yeah and that you know what I mean? I went back to the incredible text. And that's, you know, what what I think is an important thing is always, particularly when you're dealing with master writers, mm -hmm. they're not stupid. They know what they're doing. They knew what they were writing. You've been listening to Entertainment X, the podcast. 
You can follow Entertainment X on Instagram at underscore entertainmentx underscore. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join Clay next week for another curiosity conversation on Entertainment X. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening.